Chapter 25 of The Outdoor Girls at Foaming Falls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Outdoor Girls at Foaming Falls by Laura Lee Hope. Chapter 25 The Bride's Bouquet. You here again? The proprietor of Red Kennels cried, brandishing his arm threateningly above his head. Want I should set my dogs on to you, hey? All right. His hand was actually upon the gate in the enclosure. Several ferocious-looking dogs crowded close in expectation of being set free. The girls watched fascinated as the gate slowly opened. Suddenly a yellow-haired fury descended from the direction of the house, flung itself upon Jay Smutty, closed the gate fiercely, and stood with her back to it, panting defiance. Don't you dare, you great big bully, she flung at the infuriated man. I'll have you know these girls are friends of mine. Friends of yours, sneered the man. Since when did you set yourself up to have such fine friends? Stand away from there, Robina, or it'll be the worse for you. The worse for you, you mean, the girl spoke quietly, but there was something in her voice that halted a furious smutty. You open that gate and I'll set the dogs on you. They hate you, and they love me, and they'll turn on you if I say so. Now, she stepped aside from the gate and challenged him with her fine eyes. Just open that gate if you dare. The furious man took a step toward the gate of the enclosure, paused, baffled, then turned and vented his fury on the outdoor girls. Get out of here, he shouted. Don't you know you're on private property? Even at that were more than even, said Molly quietly emboldened by Robina's splendid championship. Perhaps you will explain to us how you came to be in possession, unlawfully, of some private property that belongs to us. The man stopped in his advance and stared at her. Molly continued before he could speak. That dog, she said, pointing at the great collie, and that little cocker spaniel belonged to friends of mine. They were stolen. She held Jay Smutty's startled gaze accusingly. Only a short time ago, and we can positively identify them. At the word stolen, Robina gave a great start and came hastily toward Molly. Are you sure they were stolen, she asked in a queer voice. Molly had time for nothing more than a nod of the head. Jay Smutty advanced with uplifted hand, rage once more overmastering him. His face was red and contorted. Against their will, the girls gave ground. Come here again with your lies, the man shrieked at them. I'll show you. At the same moment, voices could be heard, their owners approaching rapidly through the woods. Jay Smutty dropped his hand and stared uneasily about him. The boy's head of time, cried Grace, giggling nervously. That was Frank's voice as sure as shooting. The next moment, two boys proved her right by appearing in person. Irene and Stella were with them, and upon seeing Molly and Grace, the entire party advanced hurriedly. But you weren't coming till tomorrow, Molly heard herself saying, weak with surprise. How does it come? Never mind, said Roy. We are here, and it looks as if we were just in time. However, Jay Smutty, seeing that he was outnumbered and guessing perhaps that the game was up, shook his hand threateningly at the newcomers and retired to the house, muttering to himself, Frank and Roy at Foaming Falls a day early in order to surprise the girls, which they certainly had done, plied Molly and Grace with questions as to their interview with Jay Smutty. 
Robina stood at one side, looking on with a puzzled expression. Will was not with Frank and Roy, having stayed behind at the old stone house with Amy, as Grace and Molly heard later. Their personal affairs, it seemed, were ever so much more important to them than Jay Smutty or the mystery at Red Kennels. Molly and Grace told as briefly as they could of their meeting with the unpleasant proprietor of Red Kennels. The boys were as interested and excited as the girls, especially when they learned that Mr. Wags and Hesper had been discovered also. They announced their intention of hurrying to the village at once to return with an officer of the law upon whose authority they would be able to enter and search the kennels. Take the car, Molly called after them. It will be ever so much quicker. As soon as the boys had gone, Robina demanded an explanation of the accusations against her uncle. As gently as possible, the girls told her about Hesper and Mr. Wags, and their inevitable suspicion that most of Jay Smudley's dogs were obtained in the same way. A thief, muttered the girl beneath her breath. I always hated him, but I never guessed he was a thief. The boys returned sooner than the girls had expected. With them was a constable from the village, and two natives of Foaming Falls, one of them the postal clerk, Jasper Hill. The officer lost little time in demanding entrance to the house of Jay Smutty. The suspicion of the village had long centered upon Red Kennels, but up to this time no direct charge had been brought against the proprietor. Such evidence as the boys and girls could give was just what this officer of the law had been waiting for. Contrary to expectations, neither Jay Smutty nor his companion made any trouble when told that they were to be taken into town and held while further investigation was instituted. They submitted sullenly, saying nothing. Only when they were being led from the house, Jay Smutty turned to Robina with such a vicious look that even that fearless girl was momentarily daunted. You are to blame for this, he ejaculated. Wait till I get out of jail. I'll get even with you, you scheming hussy. Robina recovered herself. You're welcome to try it, she flung after him, if you can. After the men from Foaming Falls had left with their prisoners, Robina led the boys and girls out to the wire enclosure. She paused at the gate. Tell me which of the dogs are yours, she said simply, and I'll get them for you. Irene pointed eagerly to Hesper and whistled. The dog leaped at the wire and once more tried frantically to knock it down. As Robina opened the door, she waved the other dogs back, speaking to them gently. The next moment Hesper was upon Irene, whining and trying to reach her face with his tongue. Irene hugged him, laughing and crying and talking unintelligible nonsense to the animal. "'And the other one?' asked Robina. It was Molly who pointed out Mr. Wags, as usual shrinking in the most remote corner of the enclosure. Robina dragged him forth from his retirement, and Stella made a rush for him and cuddled him in her arms, cooing over him ecstatically. "'Was him a beautiful dog?' she cried, rubbing her nose in his silken hair. "'And did the wicked, wicked man steal him?' "'Come on, fellas,' cried Roy, flinging up his hands in a gesture reminiscent of some former occasion like this. "'Again, I say, it is time we left.' Robina was standing alone near the wire enclosure, moodily watching the dogs. In some strange way all her splendor seemed to have departed. She looked only forlorn and friendless.' The girls exchanged glances, then approached Robina, leaving the boys impatiently awaiting them on the edge of the clearing. "'You can't stay here alone, Robina,' said Molly gently. 
Come back with us to the house. Why, said the girl, turning to her slowly, should you want me to do that? Because we have a business proposition to lay before you, said Molly, briskly. She knew instinctively that Robina would not accept aid from them in any but a business way. We want to help you to run this place honestly, Robina. Because we have faith in your ability, added Stella earnestly. Run this place honestly, muttered the girl incredulously. Faith in my ability? In other words, we're sort of partners, laughed Irene, or want to be. We'll put up the money and you can put up the brains. Fair enough, isn't it? Robina looked at them steadily for a moment as though to make sure they were not joking, then turned from them quickly so that they could not see her face. After a moment, Molly reached out a hand and gently touched her. Robina had been crying, and yet when Molly said, You will go back with us now, won't you? The girl turned to them resolutely and said in her usual composed and quiet tone, Yes, I will go back with you now. Meanwhile, Amy and Will had made very good use of their time. As soon as they started off into the woods alone, after the other girls and boys had left them to go in search of Molly and Grace, Amy sensed that something nice, something very nice, had happened to Will. They had gone only a short distance when the young fellow stopped and caught both Amy's hands in his own. I can't wait another moment to tell you or I'll blow up into several small and worthless pieces. I like you better as you are, replied Amy demurely. Please tell me. I got the position after all, Will fairly shouted. It was a mistake about Joe Harrison. I was the man the boss wanted all the time. How's that? Oh, Will, glorious. I knew there must be a mistake. And now there's, really, there isn't a thing, Amy, to stand in the way of, Amy, will you? He never did finish the sentence, but Amy seemed to understand. And though she did not say a word, her answer appeared to be perfectly satisfactory. It was a long, long time before Amy thought to say, Let's go and find the others. And even then, Will said, The others have waited so long. Let them wait a little longer. The guests at the wedding gathered in the hall and living room of the Stonington house, waiting expectantly for the bride to descend the staircase. Five girls, close friends of the bride, were gathered in an animated group discussing the wedding. They were lovely in pastel-colored frocks, although Grace Ford, as maid of honor, was particularly fine in orchard organdy with a wide-brimmed, drooping hat of the same color. "'Wasn't she a lovely bride?' breathed Betty. "'I never saw one so pretty.' "'You never saw yourself, my dear,' came loyally from Molly. "'But Amy was sweet, like an angel in her white veil.' "'I cried,' Grace admitted. "'An unforgivable sin in a bridesmaid. "'Do my eyes look terribly red?' "'They look terribly pretty,' said Irene generously. "'You never have to worry, Grace.' I had a letter from Robina today, went on Molly. Her little brother and sister arrived safely at Foaming Falls, and Robina is half mad with joy. The kennels are doing well, too. I have her word for it that we may soon expect payment on what we lent her. Bless the girl, giggled Irene. She has too much conscience for her own good. Betty, how is Mr. Wags? Perfect as ever, laughed Betty. If anyone tries to steal them again, they will have to take me, too. Hush, she added, here comes the bride. Amy appeared at the head of the stairs. She looked pale, but very sweet in her simple gray traveling suit. She was smiling, 
and in her hand was the bride's bouquet. The girls looked upward, guessed her intention, and tried to dodge. Too late. Grace caught the bouquet, fair and square. Everyone looked at her and smiled. "'You're next, Grace,' giggled Irene from behind her. "'Lucky that I'm not superstitious,' said Grace, with a shake of her head. "'Time,' said Molly, sententiously, "'alone will tell.'" End of Chapter 25 End of The Outdoor Girls at Foaming Falls by Laura Lee Hope